0: Well, good morning everyone, welcome. We're so glad that you are here. Um, We're so glad to have you here. We honor you, we thank you for coming. um, As we get ready to conclude our series called One Small Step, and in this series, what we've been doing is looking at the life of Peter, starting from his calling uh, and stepping into that calling all the way now to near the end of his life and looking at his story of discipleship and walking with Jesus and finding within his story moments of our story are reflected, of of our discipleship and our walk with Jesus. And the idea behind the sermon series, One Small Step, is that no matter where you are, whether you don't even believe in Jesus and you're just invited and you came here today and you're just like, hey, I'm I'm here, that's awesome. Whether we've known the the Lord for years and we've lived that out and you're here, that's awesome. The hope is, is that no matter where we are on that spectrum, that we would all take one small step closer to him. So we would take one small step closer to following Jesus and that we would be open to hearing and seeing and experiencing whatever he has for us this morning. So will you join me in a word of prayer as we dive in uh, to the sermon? Father, we thank you for who you are and I thank you for each person that is hearing my voice right now, Lord. Whether they're here live and we're so grateful that they're here or whether they are listening online later and we're grateful that they're spending time to listen. God, I pray that everyone who hears my voice knows without a shadow of a doubt that they are deeply loved by you and the love that you have for us that we may be able to come become children of God. Lord, we are so grateful. And I pray that for those of us who are still on that journey, don't know yet, Lord, what that looks like, that you would open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts to what that would look like. I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, and that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you, God. And it's your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 12, if you want to turn uh, the Bible to it. Um, we have the church Bible here in the seat racks, or you could look on your phone, but we will in 2 Peter chapter 1, and the title of this one is this idea of stepping back and reflecting on what's most important in our lives. That, I don't know, I just want to show of hands really quickly. How many of you within the past, let's say two or three weeks, have had a moment in which you thought about all the tasks that were on your list, that just needed to get done, and you felt pretty overwhelmed. Can I just get a, a show of hands real quick? So that's, that's most of you. Um, others of you, maybe you're, you know, you're not stressed out right now. Maybe you've coped better than I know how to cope. I don't know, but we're excited that you're, you know, you're not experiencing that. But what we look at here is that we all, at some point or another, have lists of tasks that feel so urgent. Like this has to get done, and this has to get done, and this has to get done, and this got to get done. And it can become really overwhelming. And, and sometimes we could get so paralyzed by the urgent... That either we don't get the urgent taken care of because we just don't know where to start because there's so many different things, or we get stuff done that's urgent and we neglect what's truly important. That this idea is, is similar to an idea from Stephen Covey, who in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People talks about how we need to put first things first and prioritize, and in order to do so, we need to know what's urgent and what's important and then how To make sure that we are focusing on where those areas meet and not neglecting what's most important. And so what I want to do is we could look at our calendar, we could look at our days, we could look at our lists, and we could say, oh my gosh, there's so much going on, it's so urgent, it's overwhelming. But what I want to do in our sermon of stepping back is this idea of let's get step back and see a bigger picture. Because all of us have to-do lists, tasks, things on our mind. But in the end, when we come to the end, as Peter will share at the end of his life, are we going to be thinking about our to-do lists from March 8th, 2020 in those days? Probably not. So let's take a bigger picture and a step back to reflect on what's most important. Now, we're going to watch a video together here within um, our, uh, the service. But for those of you that are listening online later, I don't want you to miss out because the visuals are important. And so if you're listening online later, I want you to go to YouTube.com. I want you to type this exact phrase in. Everyday objects in micro. Everyday objects in micro. When you go on youtube.com, you type that in. The first video is two minutes and 37 seconds long, and it's by um, a username account called Macro Room. We're going to watch the first two minutes and nine seconds of that uh, Here's in service. And so if you're watching online, I would take, give you an opportunity to type that out. We'll wait. Very good. Um, And then we'll uh, have you watch that and just join us in a couple minutes. So let's here live, turn our attention to the screen as we look at everyday objects that are zoomed in. And then it's only when we get to the zoomed out picture that we truly see what it is. And I would just love to see which ones uh, stood out the most to you. So let's go ahead and start that video, please. Fun, right? Let me just ask which. Just yell out which one was your favorite that was most surprising. Oreo. Oreo. Yeah, what was it? Bottle the bottle cap, the Coke bottle cap one. That was pretty surprising. Yeah. A- Anyone else the Lipton tea bag that really got me too. So notice how you could zoom in on it, right? And you're like, oh, I totally know. Like after they show the apple and they go to the Coke bottle, I'm like, oh, that one, like it looks like kind of bruised. I'm like, oh, that's just like a messed up bell pepper. Like in my mind, I like had an idea. And then you zoom out, like, oh, that's not not what it is at all. And so um, the whole point is, again, we could zoom in and we could think we have a good perspective about what something truly is. And it's so easy for us because something is urgent and right in our face. It feels so zoomed in that we're like, oh, this is what it is. And then it's only when we step back and get a fuller picture, that we're able to really get an accurate picture of what's most important. In our main point for this morning, the main point is that stepping back from the tyranny of the urgent allows us to reflect on what's most important. Stepping back from the tyranny of the urgent allows us to reflect on what's most important. So that we can have this moment like Peter. In fact, we get an example in the book of 2 Peter, which we will be in. Uh, this is near the end of his life. And, and uh, this book was written about 65 uh, AD, which is about 30 or so years after Jesus died. And, and Peter's in prison and he's writing this book, to, or this epistle, this letter, to people who have given their lives to Jesus and they're living through righteousness through him. And he wants to reflect on what's most important. For them to know. It's like his parting words. It's like his last lecture. It's like, what is it that he would want the people underneath his care as a shepherd in the church, in the early church, what does he want them to know? And here are a few things that he says, this is what's important. And we have a few of them here looking at 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 12. The first part inside your notes, what it says is that what's important to us is that we can help others remember the truth of the gospel. We can help others remember the truth of the gospel. Let's read verse 12. This is Peter talking. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. Let's stop there because that's a reminder to us that even if we're on this journey where we've known the gospel for years and decades, we've never heard it too much for it to stop being powerful. And it's never too Great and amazing of a story for us to be reminded of the truth of the gospel, of our calling in him, and what it means to have a relationship with him. Verse 13, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. If you remember uh, from our story last week in John chapter 21, when Jesus says, listen, Today you get to put on clothes and dress yourself and go where you want to go. But when you are old, someone will dress you and you will go to a place you do not want to go. And he says says then after that, Jesus said this in order to describe the manner in which Peter would die, that he was going to be crucified for his faith. So Peter hears that as a young man and says... Okay, I know I'm going to be old at some point because Jesus said, when you are old. So I know I'm going to be able to survive some of these crazy things that happen in Acts and all these stories. But now he's saying, listen, this tent, this earthly body that is collapsible is going to be collapsed and it's going to be set aside. And so what is it that's most important for me to express while I'm still in this earthly tent? Verse 15 And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Verse 12 talks about reminding, verse 13 talks about refreshing, verse 15 talks about remembering. That Peter, as a shepherd, as a leader, says you need to remember these things. That there are a lot of false teachers, which we'll talk about uh, at the beginning of chapter two in a few moments. But there were a lot of false teachers. And Peter says, no, you need to know the truth. You need to know the truth of the gospel and be reminded, refreshed, and remembering it frequently. Patrick Lencioni is a, is, a, is a leadership consultant. He's written a ton of um, books that I really enjoy his work. Uh, he's one of the only people that I've heard him live um, in conferences. He's one of the only people I know that talks faster than I do. Um, and so I'm like sitting there, I'm like, oh, I get it. Like, I talk fast. And so um, with that said, no, I'm just kidding. So we, uh, he talked about Patrick Lencioni has this great leadership point that he talks about. And what he says is that leaders in here, I'll I'll quote it, the best leaders understand, not that they're CEOs, chief executive officers, that they are CROs, chief reminding officers, and that there's no such thing as too much communication. What does that mean? That good leaders and organizations remind the people why they exist. Why is it that we're putting in the hours today? Why is it we're going extra hours to finish this project? Why is it that we have a goal or a product or a project that we are working on? What is the purpose? What is the why? And we remind the people all the time. And a good leader, a good person and organization is leading that, and that goes for families too, good leaders of families, remind the people what's important. They remind it, they are chief reminding officers. That Peter, he's taken upon himself the mantle of being a chief reminding officer to, as 2 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, who's this book written to? It says this, quote, "'To those through, who through the righteousness of our God "'and Savior, Jesus Christ, "'have received a faith as precious as ours.'" Peter says, let me remind you, let me be a CRO to you, that those of you who've given your lives to Jesus and have a righteousness through Jesus Christ as our Savior, let me remind you of the truth of the gospel, not the false teachings, but the truth. So with this in mind, one of my jobs As someone who is honored to be able to teach uh, through God's word on a consistent basis, one of my jobs is to be a CRO for each of us, a chief reminding officer of the truth and the power and the beauty of the gospel. That it's important for us to be reminded, refreshed, and remember how incredible the gospel truly is. In their book, uh, Becoming a Contagious Christian, Mark Middleberg um, and Lee Strobel, they they put together um, a, um, it's how to share your faith, essentially. And one of the things they talk about is, here's how you share God's story. There are four points to God's story, and they use it in very simple language, so that's easy to remember and easy to explain. So the first part is the fact that God loves us. And so we need to be reminded, as a CRO, let me remind you, God loves you. And not like God loves, yeah, yeah, no, I know God loves me, just like he loves the person next to me and the person across the street. No, no, no. God loves you. He loves you before you did anything to earn that love. He created and formed you in your mother's womb before you acted and, and had any sort of productivity or any sort of popularity or any sort of possessions. You were just created and he loves you because you are his and he loved you. And so we have to be reminded that God loves us so that we never forget our belovedness and that that is our identity, our belovedness through God. The second part of the gospel, as they talk about in that book, is God loves us, but we blew it. God loves us, we blew it. I must remind us, we must be reminded of this so that we never forget our own sinfulness, that we never think that it's flippant to sin, to, to do something that we know is wrong or to either do a sin of commission, committing a sin that we know is wrong, or to do a sin of omission and omitting doing what we know is right. And so it's both of these dynamics that we have to remember that because if we forget our own sinfulness, if we buy into the the teaching, the false teaching of the world around us that says, you know, you're basically a good person. You're basically good enough on your own. And Jesus is something you can just kind of sprinkle onto your life because you're basically good. Then what that means is that the power of the gospel gets lost because then we say, well, then Jesus didn't really need to die because I'm not that bad. But it's when we recognize our own brokenness and our own sinfulness that we realize what John said in 1 John 2, the idea that Jesus died not just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Timothy Keller talks about how everyone is wrong. We've all sinned. Everyone is loved because God loves us. And every one of us must be reminded of that or must know that and be called to change. It's the gospel. We have to remember our own brokenness, our own sinfulness. So yeah, God loves us, but we blew it. When sin came into the world and we chose that which was shiny or delicious over who God truly is, we started to taste and think that the sin was good, but we failed to taste and see that the Lord is good. And we blew it. The third part is that, but Jesus paid for it. And this is the part that hinges on our importance, our acknowledgement of our own sinfulness, because he... He came in and he paid our debt. He came in and wiped our ledger clean. He came in and made sure that our sin was once crimson and were white as snow. That he did not come in with a scarcity mindset with fists tightly clenched, but he came with an abundance mindset with his arms open wide on the cross to say that my love is great and it is abundant for all to receive. As a chief reminding officer, I have to remind us that Jesus paid for it so we don't forget the price of forgiveness, that it was Jesus, God's only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life, that this is love, not that He loved us, or not that we loved him, but that He loved us, and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. And then lastly, God loves us, we paid for or we blew it, Jesus paid for it, and we must receive him. We've been given a gift. This reminds us so that we never forget, that this is an invitation to a relationship. It's a gift that is offered, but a gift must be received to truly be experiencing the gift. And many people might understand one, two, and three, but may fail to receive it, may fail to accept it. And so as a chief reminding officer, I gotta remind us of the gospel. I have to remember the gospel so that we never forget that although the world may say, oh, you're good enough, or the world may say, hey, you're not loved at all. No, God loves me. No, no, no! You're good enough as you are. No, we blew it. Oh, like forgiveness isn't that big of a deal. No, Jesus paid for it. And hey, there's any you could go any way up the mountain. You could do anything you want to come, you know, to be enlightened or to have a, you know, to be good. No, we must receive the gift that Jesus has given us graciously. We receive it by confessing with our mouths and believing in our hearts that Jesus is Lord. Some of us need to make that step, cross that line, and enter His kingdom. So may we be reminded of that. Even if you're firmly established in it, we need to be reminded of it often. The second part, not only do we help others remember the truth of the gospel, we can share our eyewitness testimony to who Jesus is. We can share our eyewitness testimony to who Jesus is. Hear how Peter continues his story in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. Now Peter is referring to what he was an eyewitness testimony to. The story of the transfiguration, if, if you're unaware of it, you could find it in Mark chapter 9 or Matthew chapter 17, and it's a moment in which Jesus takes Peter, James, and John and he goes up onto the mountain and all of a sudden Moses and Elijah are there and Peter says, God, it is good for Jesus. It is good for us to be here. We should build shelters or we should build tents and stay here a while. That word shelter and tent is the word tabernacle, which is what he's talking about when he says, hey, my tabernacle, my tent is going to be laid aside. So he's tying in the language of this story into the, the story of the Old Testament, the tabernacle, and God's presence among us. He says, my earthly tents can be laid aside. I was there, and I wanted to set up tents to stay up there with Jesus forever. But what ends up happening is that he tells them the story of the transfiguration. And I want to take a moment, because let's think about all the amazing things Peter was able to do for for the glory and the gospel. So Peter was someone who he ended up you know, going in and on, in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit came upon Peter like the other apostles, like a tongue of fire. And he was able to, to preach an incredible sermon. And Acts chapter two, verse 37, we see how that sermon that the people were listening and they were cut to the heart. And they said, well, what do we need to do to be saved? And he says, repent and be baptized. And thousands were baptized that day. And so he, he could share about, hey, let me tell you about what happened when God used me. He could talk about how he healed the beggar in, in Acts chapter 3 and how that got him imprisoned. He could talk about how in Acts chapter 10 and 11, Cornelius, who was a Gentile, Peter received a vision to show that the Gentiles are now welcome back into the kingdom of God. They are now able to experience the spirit as well. And Peter could say, he could share his story of like, I was able to see the Gentiles come in. This is an incredible thing. He could even share about Acts chapter 12. I almost shared this sermon this week of how he was in jail and he was chained to guards. And in the middle of the night, an angel like elbow bumps him, not because of the coronavirus, but just because. Elbow bumps him, gets him to wake up, and all the shackles fall away. The guards stay asleep. He escapes out of the prison. He thinks it's a dream, wakes up all of a sudden realizes I'm out of the prison, goes to the home of people who've been praying for him, knocks on the door, and Rhoda, the servant is like, I hear Peter. And They're like, no, you don't. And He's like, we're just waiting outside like they haven't let him in yet. But he has all these incredible stories of how God used him. Notice that when he shares his eyewitness testimony, what what most matters to him at the end of his life is not a recollection of the good things he did. It's about the good character of who Jesus is. That he is the transfigured. He was son of God, son of man, Lord and Savior, the one upon whom we could build the foundation of our lives. He is Jesus and that's what he wants us, that's what Peter wants us to remember. Why is that? Well, because oftentimes when you tell a story of something that you experienced, that story can be changed the more times people want to share it. I want to share, for me, when I was at CCV in my old church, there was one weekend, about two years or so into my, uh, the senior pastor's uh, ministry there, where he's like, you know what I want to do? I want to have two large pools, so not like kiddie pools, but like full-size pools um, on each side of the stage. And it's a bigger auditorium, so there was room there, and about you know 800 or so people could fit in there. And he preached a sermon, and he preached a sermon called "How We Need to RSVP to the Gospel." How we need to, res- uh, sorry, repent to turn away from our old ways, say our sorry, confess, verbalize our faith by confessing Jesus as Lord, and plunging our past through baptism. And he says, if you RSVP today, you could enter into the kingdom this weekend or that weekend. I was eyewitness to 600 baptisms. People were just coming in. And it's like this, it's like this chaos when the spirit is moving, when all of a sudden you're, they're walking in and you're like, oh, we probably should have covered that carpet with, like, something plastic to save. Like, we had, like, the water was going. We tried to get towels and, like, put it up against the thing so it doesn't overflow everywhere. We, we end up just going back and walking pe- with people and praying with people and explaining the gospel and making sure that they know what they're doing. And we'd be able to just walk alongside them. And there's this kingdom moment in which you say, oh, my gosh, this is incredible. And I could share that story to you, and you could be excited and inspired by it. But The truth of the matter is, is that my story of that is awesome. It's great. It's a good story to share. But if we only rely on the stories of how God's worked in other people's lives, then we live our faith vicariously through other people. And we go from good experience to good experience to other people's good experience to other people's good experience. And we go, instead of diving deeper, excuse me, into our faith, we end up relying on other people to dive deeper in their faith and to tell us about it which is why peter does this third point i want to point to you out point out to you excuse me we can inspire other people to rely on god's word we can inspire other people to rely on god's word verse 19 we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Let's, let's unpack that for a moment. The prophetic message, he's referring to the, the, the law of the prophets. He's referring to the written word of the Old Testament, of the Hebrew scriptures at the time, because, you know, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. So he's referring to the written word, the prophetic word that is that was taken down and reminded us in in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, like the written word of who God is and what he's calling us to do. And notice how he says that we have the the, uh, prophetic message as something completely reliable. That you might go home and you might, you know, three weeks from now, you might be, oh, I remember, JP told me about that story when like, like a thousand people got baptized at their old church, Right? And then that's not fully what happened. It's, it's word of mouth, passing it on. It's like the game Telephone, if you ever play that, and you whisper one thing, and by the end, it's changed to complete something completely different. See, what Peter is saying is our experiences, we, could, we need to share what we are eyewitness testimonies to, to who Jesus is. But we also need to make sure that we inspire people to rely not on experiences alone, but scripture as well. And so turning people to the word so i could share with you the the time in which you know it's good for me i've shared before probably half dozen times since i've been here it's good for me to be able to share the story of when i heard god's voice as clearly as i've ever heard it and he called me into ministry says i want you to do that that being preaching uh, as a senior pastor um, at the church i was attending. I could tell you that story. That's a, that's a good story. It, maybe it's encouraging. Maybe for some of you it's not. I don't know. But it's good for me to share that. It's better for me, for us, to be pointed to God's word. Because that doesn't change. Th- that's the same. And, and so here's how we know that we can rely on it. What do verses 20 and 21 tell us? This is how Peter wants to not just tell us to believe it, but he inspires us to rely upon it by saying these things. Above all... You must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. It's not like someone saw something and they're like, oh, this is what I think happened, and it's all cleverly designed by a person. Instead, verse 21, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That 2 Timothy 3 reminds us all scripture is God-breathed. And it is valuable for reproof and correction and rebuke and encouragement. That all scripture is there for a reason. The Holy Spirit desire, uh, designed what was going to be shared. And there are people in this time frame that wrote about Jesus. There are other gospels that, that we have been written. But, but these are the ones here in his word that are God-breathed, that we trust and we know are reliable. And so it's good for me to share a story of how God spoke to me and it's good to hear stories from you how God has spoken to you. But we have a a message that is completely reliable because it's God's word breathed by God by the power of the Holy Spirit into his servants so that we can still see it, read it, be changed by it today. It does not change. And so as someone who's a, a teacher, it's an honor to be able to dive into God's word and to share it. But I know, as I've shared before, James 3 chapter 1 shows that teachers are held to a higher standard because the, the, the truth of the matter is, and it's not, I don't love saying it, but I know it to be true, is that I'll, I'll read 2 Peter and I'll be able to share it today. Not everyone in this room or not everyone listening online is gonna go back, read it again, and make sure that I'm, that, that what I'm saying is what it says. And so, We're supposed to test the spirits, as 1 John 4 talks about. Now, when you hear someone teaching, it's like, is that really what the Bible says? And you might think I I wouldn't like to be confronted, like, whatever. I would love that. You know what? Because it means that you're in his word. You are praying and thinking critically through it. And that we can have a dialogue. And if I'm off course somehow, that I can be corrected and that we can move forward and make sure that we're not falling into false teachings, heresies, cleverly devised schemes or stories. Now I have no intention of doing that, but knowing that you guys are reading it and being able to come alongside it is is a great thing to be able to know that we want to point people to rely and inspire people to rely on God's word. Peter says this is God breathed; it's more reliable than a story because Peter's story. How much would it have been changed if the story of the transfiguration wasn't written in the book of Matthew or Mark, or he didn't refer it in the second Peter? What would it have turned into? through legend, and people then think it's not real. So we see this idea that we have the opportunity to to make sure that we can um, help others remember the truth of the gospel. We share our eyewitness testimonies to who Jesus is. We can inspire people to rely on God's word. These are all things Peter thought was important. And then we close with this last point that he thought was important, that we can warn believers about the dangers of false teachings, Warning people, the believers, who are under his spiritual flock, who was under his care, against the dangers of false teaching. Here's what he says in verse chapter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. Let's just look at these things for a moment. Peter, as a shepherd, is saying, here's what you need to be aware of. You need to be aware of false teachers, destructive heresies, the the things that will destroy us if we believe them, that we kind of went through, why do we need to be reminded that God loves us? Because it's a destructive heresy to think that we were just randomly made, without any care, without a design, without a purpose, that we blew it. It's destructive for us to forget our sinfulness and to think that we're good enough on our own because then we'll try to put ourselves on the throne and we won't let Jesus in his rightful place. It's important for us to go against destructive heresies and false teachings about Jesus paying the price for us because he's the only way, the truth, and the life, and we need to remember that there aren't many ways at the same road to Jesus or to God which reminds us of how we need to receive Jesus. It's not that this is as good and this is as good this is good. It's that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And for others who have different faith systems, we need to show who Jesus is in such a clear and, and winsome way that they would want to be able to experience that. But we need to receive him. It talks about how he's... People will even deny God. They'll even say that truth isn't even truth, if that sounds familiar in our culture these days, that they'll be following bad conduct, that they'll be going through all these things that will be fabricated stories and the teachers will be exploiting them. And Peter, as a shepherd, says, you need to be aware of these things, that as a shepherd... His job is not just to remind them, be a CRO in order to remind them of the good things of the truth of the gospel, it's also to be someone who gives out an SOS when the, the false teachers are trying to attack. And many of us, many of us, if whether we've gone to church for a long time or not, I would venture to say most of us know the story of David and Goliath, right? First Samuel 17. And, and there's a dynamic of it that a couple of verses that stouts, excuse me, that jumps out to me more now in this season than it ever has before. Because we know the story of David and Goliath is a story of this faith of this young boy who stands up against a warrior and he goes with a sling and a stone and he just knocks him out and, and then kills him and we get to see this victory of God and, with someone who's faithful and has faith. And that's a beautiful story. That's what it is. But there's this dialogue right before that, a dialogue between Saul and David that I would like to highlight for us. It's gonna be in, uh, on the screen. Verses 33 through 35. 35. David wants to go, and here's how Saul replies to him. You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and I killed it. This is a boy talking about killing a lion and a bear. Why? Because in the same way that David was entrusted with the flock as their shepherd, he knew that he had to protect the flock from harm. In the same way that Peter is a shepherd, and 1 Peter 5 talks about in the verse on top of your bulletin, the idea of being a shepherd to God's flock, that he, as a shepherd to those who knew Jesus, wants to protect the sheep from harm. One of my jobs I love being able to do is to be a chief reminding officer. One of my jobs that I love being able to do as a pastor, which just means shepherd, right, is to be able to come alongside people in seasons of you know, baptisms, but also in seasons of marriages, but seasons of child dedications, but also to come alongside during seasons of hospital visits and, and mourning and memorials and a shepherd and to care for the flock. But what I'm learning, still needing to learn and grow in, but that part of my job as being a shepherd is also to warn and to fight off the lions and the bears of heresy and of the cultural worldview around us that might cause sheep to go astray. But when we hear heresies, we hear cleverly devised schemes, we hear fabricated stories meant to dilute the truth or deny it altogether. Part of my job is to say, well, then let's go back to what is true. Let's rely on God's word. Let's make sure that this is the foundation upon we read and learn about Jesus, who's our one true foundation. We read his word, we hear his word, and we live it out. It's not based on what everybody else around us says. And so my job is to help protect us, myself included as the flock, but us from Heresy from false teachers so that we could fix our eyes on Jesus and not get distracted by the voices around us telling us that you don't need Jesus. Just sprinkle them onto your life and enjoy the way you want to live. That you do you and I'll do me and let's all just live in harmony. No, no, no. The idea is that we follow Jesus and we invite people into that journey. And we live so winsomely that people, we, we know how to, share our faith, God loves us, we blew it, Jesus paid for it, we must receive him. We're reminded of that, that we are eyewitness testimonies. Here's what Jesus did in my life when we share our faith with someone. We, we inspire them to, to read the reality and the reliability of, Jesus, of God's word. And then we warn against false teachings. Peter, he did all these things. Why? Because he was a shepherd, He took hold and he stepped forward into the calling that we heard about last week from John 21 when Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He says, you know, I love you. I love you. I love you. And then after that, what does Jesus say? Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. He uses shepherd analogy after shepherd analogy after shepherd analogy. And he says, I'm going to build my house, my my church upon the rock of Peter and the confession of faith. And Peter, you're meant to be a shepherd. So that means that you gotta protect them, you gotta remind them, you gotta share eyewitness testimony with them. You have to point them to God, to my word, as Jesus would say. So we just took 35, 40 minutes or so to zoom in on this one passage. But I want to take a moment to step back now. To step back and reflect on what's most important, to make sure that we are not. Giving into the tyranny of the urgent, but we're stepping back to get a full picture. So what looks like you know a little bit of a, a messed up bell pepper and a video, when it turns out to be a Coke bottle cap, we might have a completely wrong perspective of what's really important. And and we want to live lives of impact. That, Peter had a life of impact of pointing people to Jesus, of baptizing people or or preaching and, and doing all these things and healing and miracles and all this stuff. And he didn't point to his own goodness or his own deeds. He pointed to who Jesus is and his goodness. And so our calling is to do one more small step towards sharing our faith and having that life of impact. So my question is for you to look at those four points and in your time this week with the Lord, Ask the questions. Am I remembering the truth of the gospel? And am I sharing that with others? Am I being a witness to who Jesus is throughout my day, whether in the classroom, whether in our homes, whether in our workplace? Am, am I really pointing to the reliability on God's word? Am I inspired to follow God's word? And am I sharing what I'm learning with others? Or is God's word something that I only experienced for about 45 minutes on a Sunday morning? And as we know, if you only ate once a meal, or sorry, you should hopefully eat once a meal. If you only ate one meal a week, you wouldn't be healthy. If you're only partaking God's word once a week, how healthy can we be? And then if, am I asking the final question is, am I aware of the false teachings around me? And am I not giving in to the voices of the world and the the foundation of shifting sand? But am I hearing the words of Jesus? Am I putting them into practice and building my life upon the rock of who Jesus is and his word? Because if we can answer yes to those questions, then like Peter, whenever the end of our lives are, we don't know. But the way we're able to get to a point where Peter can be free and say, listen, I know I'm going to, this tent's going to be laid aside. I know I'm going to die at some point, but here's what's important. In order for us to have that same mindset whenever our time comes is to start answering those questions today, to live those out today, day by day, moment by moment, one small step at a time. Because every journey goes with one step at a time. We don't know when we're done, but we want to be able to profess at the end that I've fought the good fight, I've run the race, and I've kept the faith. That starts now. However much time we have left, stepping back from the tyranny of the urgent, so we would be allowed to reflect on what's most important. Father, we thank you for who you are, and I pray, God, that as we have a time to Sing now, Lord, that we would remember that you are um, a king. You're the only one that should be on the throne, Jesus. And so may we call up out upon you as the only king forever, Lord. And I pray that you would challenge us, stir us, stir within us, encourage us, whatever we need to do, God. But may we be able to live a life of impact as Peter did, to walk with you as Peter did, and to realize what's most important is not just our own comfort and hoarding on to things in a scarcity mindset, but having an abundance mindset of sharing who you are, sharing what we have so that others may know who you are as well. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.